Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thank you for Hour 2 with me. It's going to be a great hour. Dr. Alex McFarland is already on our studio line. You can go to his website, which is alexmcfarland.com, M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. He's a religion and culture expert and creator of the Truth for a New Generation Conference. And earlier in the day, we were talking about uh, kids who are in trouble and they're struggling with some kinds of sadness or anxiety or self-injury uh, depression, and I, I think Alex is going to be able to weigh in on this discussion and bring some new light to it. Alex, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It is always an honor to be on with you. I, you're so gracious, and I appreciate you having me. Well, I love it. I love when you, uh, the idea I hear that you're coming to Minneapolis in June, maybe. Is it June? Yeah, oh. I am. I'm oh. so glad you brought that up. Yeah, no, I can't yeah, wait. Um, you're coming to the studio. We're having lunch. I'm going to make you a peanut butter jelly sandwich. The whole thing is going to be great. And I'm using your well, peanut butter. Exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. And I, honest engine, I'm going to send some to your staff. But I, yes, I will be in the great city of Minneapolis, June 21 and 22. Okay. Uh, there's a conference put on by a ministry called Restored Hope. And, you know, I'll be talking about a couple of things, biblical worldview and our loss of uh, morality, really, mm-hmm. natural law. And there'll be a Q&A. And it would be my great honor to meet uh, so many of your fine listeners. Oh, yeah. And we will have you in studio uh, with party hats on. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, ditto. And we'll yeah. play surf music. Oh, good. Yeah, I look forward to that, too. So let's chat about some of the, the thousands and thousands of young kids today that are really struggling with uh, some maybe sadness, tragedy. There's pressure in their life. There's anxiety, uh, suicide, cutting, all that stuff. What's going on with that? Well, you know, uh, Bill, it's the breakdown of the family. Uh, I mean, really, I, I know there, you know, in, in every generation there are stressors and there are things that are, you know, a burden. And the transition from childhood to adolescence to adulthood is, is always, you know, fraught with emotional growth and things like that. But I really do think that the answer to our societal problems, you know, obviously it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, but... I think the the real hope for our country is the restoration of that laboratory that God gave us for the creation of of healthy individuals, and that's called the home and the family. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's in the family that we get acceptance, significance, and security. You know, acceptance, feeling like we fit in, but there's you know. Um, accountability there's there's reward there's punishment it it is in the home that moral growth takes place and part of the reason that kids are uh, becoming sexually active at younger and younger ages part of the reason that they're experimenting with drugs and they're doing anything and everything to fill that void in their soul is because the wonderful organism that God gave the human race to create saints and mature people, the family, marriage and family, as a culture, we've marginalized it, even 
you know, denigrated it. We've reinvented it, redefined yeah. it, said it's not important. And and the train wreck, the cultural train wreck in slow motion that we're watching is the result of our abandonment of the family. And Alex, it's probably safe to say that kids are maybe slightly more vulnerable to mental health issues because their brains are being formed. And if if they don't have mom and dad alongside them helping develop that part of their their character, that they could be off the rails quicker than uh, quicker than normal. Yeah, well, you know, um, the studies show that 46 percent of, of teens hurt themselves or engage in some sort of self-harm right now, nearly 50 percent. And there, there's cutting and there, there's, um, you know, sticking pins in themselves. Um, I was in uh, Oxford, California, and a, a girl whose arms just – beautiful young lady, but her arms look like raw meat because she'd been cutting herself and she was weeping, and she said, um, when I uh, feel pain here, re- meaning her arms, it makes me forget about the pain in here, pointing to her heart. And and here's the thing. In the family, we learn things like deferred gratification. Don't eat a cookie before supper. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you can have a new bike if you save your money. Um, uh, you know, and – in secular education, every sort of aberrant viewpoint, aberrant behavior, even destructive behavior, you know, it's it's increasingly becoming illegal to tell kids the truth about morals, about gender, about behavior, about beliefs. I mean, if, if a kid thinks he's, you know, a character out of Star Wars or a comic book, you know, it's fine to pretend, but we need to help kids understand there's a line between pretense and reality. Uh, pretending is not the same thing as living. And nowadays, we uh, we foster and encourage delusional living. I, I mean, uh, and, and there's a thing called the Equality Act that is an expansion and really a, a real uh, revisioning of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Civil Rights Act being very valid. But the Equality Act that's coming before our government, you know, it was really um, got, got in high gear March of this year, um, gives it, it extends civil rights protection to transgender, LGBTQ, um, any sort of delusional thing. I mean, if I think I'm, you know, uh, Luke Skywalker, then I'll have legal protection for that. And, and it's insanity. And we've lost our moral compass. But, Bill, I'm going to say why we've done that. Um, psychologists tell us that you can't live in a state of cognitive dissonance forever. We're killing babies, and we're living immorally, and we know it's wrong. And when you're in a state of conviction, you either change your beliefs or you change your behaviors. What we're trying to do is change our beliefs and tell ourselves Legally, culturally, personally, we're trying to say, well, there's no such thing as morality, and I'm okay to do whatever I want to do. It won't work, and it can't last. The sooner we admit that there is a moral code and we'd best follow it, the sooner we'll be in a position to save this nation. Mm-hmm. Alex, I want to I want to give the listeners that are you know suffering a little bit, hearing even some of this, they might be in a position where 
their family might be broken and they might feel like, "Uh oh, this is me. I'm in trouble. I'm not doing the best job I can do. And yet they are. So let's speak with great love and compassion for some of the families that are struggling today and what we can what we can say to them regarding hope for their their teens. Well, there is great hope. And, you know, we're we're all sinners, uh, but Christ loves us. And and we're if you're a believer, you're a, a saved sinner and you're a saint in the eyes of God. The good news is God loves you. God loves you. Doesn't matter if you have uh, blown it for the umpteenth time. God loves you, and God is not done with you. And the great news is, in Joel 2.25, the Bible says that God restores the years the locust has eaten. Bill, aren't you glad the good Lord will give us a do-over? Oh, my ever. And, and uh, listen, I want to say to everyone who's tuned in right now, you've not blown it too much to put yourself beyond God's reach. You've not stumbled so many times that God says, I'm done with you. No, if you will turn to Christ, but be honest, admit, admit and say, Lord, I, I really need you. I've tried it my way. I want to live Jesus's way. He'll receive you. Uh, the Bible talks about gold for ashes. As a pastor and as, as a, a Christian leader, I've met so many families that just were unraveled. And God put lives back together. God restored relationships. God gave a, a fresh start. But we have to turn to him. So, so, folks, be encouraged. Know that the God who answers prayer and the God of all compassion and the God who has a plan for each and every one of us, he's, he's ready to step in and help if we'll hand the reins of our life to him. Mm-hmm. And, Alex, I would love for you to just keep on that train and, and encourage uh, people to you know, count on Jesus to get through the most challenging times. Exactly. See, here's the thing. Uh, the biggest need we had is for salvation and forgiveness so that we could be ready to go to heaven when we die. And if we turn to Christ and say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe Jesus paid for them on the cross. Lord, save me. Our biggest need was for salvation. Our most formidable enemy was death in the grave. And if Christ solved those dilemmas, and he did. He can do all the, the lesser things. I mean, can he help me find a job? Can he uh, be with me through this diagnosis? Can he bring my prodigal back? Of course. Matthew 6, verse 8 uh, says the Father knows what we need even before we ask. And Matthew six thirty three says if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other lesser things will be added. So here's the thing. If Christ loved us enough to meet the biggest need, salvation, you can be confident he loves us enough to meet all of the secondary and lesser needs, encouragement, perseverance. I mean, he he really is our all in all. And Bill, Bill, this is not a cliche. This is not preacher talk. I mean, this is reality. Jesus is the unshakable foundation. He's our all in all. And every single person, um, everybody, don't don't believe the lie that God doesn't love you anymore. That's that's not true. He does, and if we'll turn to Him, great things will follow. Mm-hmm. Alex, what about uh, listeners that are just feeling a little despair? There's there's enough madness in the world. There's enough problems on everybody's plate that despair can just sort of creep in. 
uh, encourage our listeners that Jesus can remove, can take that away. Well, you know, despair is an emotional state that comes when we, uh, you know, I mean, there, there are a lot of things in life that are, you know, it's only rational to be concerned about. But I think the the pathway to to joy and peace and fulfillment is to believe what is true, not what is false. And I think um, a black hole and a vicious cycle of despair happens when we tell ourselves uh, things that just really aren't true, like uh, this is never going to get fixed. Mm-hmm. Well, that's false. It, you know, there there is a new day. Um, I've I've just blown it for the last time, or my spouse has let me down for the last time, or they'll never change, or something like that. Let's believe what is true. And as Oswald Chambers, he wrote um, the he wrote the works that ultimately became my utmost for his highest, a great devotional book. But Oswald Chambers said that every day we must quote vigilantly maintain God's perspective. So. Part of our assignment as grown-ups is to believe what is true. Satan is a liar. Satan is the, the father of lies, and he is the source of discouragement and um, despondency. And so get in the Word of God. And I, I'll give you a verse, Bill. Philippians 4.8 says, If anything is true, praiseworthy, uplifting, think on these things as opposed to the other things. I think the the victory over despair begins with a thought replacement program, believing God's truth rather than um, the lies we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. Satan wants us to be in a, a quicksand of hopeless thoughts and just, um, you know, negativity. Let, let's not believe the negativity of, of Satan's falsehoods, but, and it take, you've got to train yourself. And and it may as well begin in the Word of God. Read the book of Philippians, folks, and see if some seeds of joy don't get sprouted in your heart. That is wonderful wisdom and and, and advice, uh, Alex. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. I know you've got to run. Uh, have a great weekend, and God bless uh, whatever work you've got going on this weekend. It, well, I'm in Ohio speaking just in a moment, and I appreciate you so much. And Thank- And it's always an honor to be on. I greatly appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Alex. Yep. Alex McFarland has been my guest. We'll take a little break and be back in just a minute. I appreciate the constant biblical knowledge. I'm a stay-at-home mom, so reading the Bible can be tough because I can't sit down and read very often. So Faith Radio is definitely my um, place to get the word. Uh, Faith Radio, um, just listening to the programs, it's just very much inspiration to me. We're sharing each day together on Faith Radio.
Welcome back to the show. Awfully nice of Dr. Alex McFarland to spend time with us. He's probably stepping on stage to speak in Ohio right now. And Alex uh, can be found at his website, alexmcfarland.com, M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D.com. There's certainly a lot of suffering, a lot of difficulty, and I, I'm, I'm in a, actually a great mood today, so I don't want to go down a road that is suggesting everybody is suffering at some level, but uh, I do hope you're having a great day. There, you know, when you do have difficulties, you do have challenges, It there's ways to, to make it work for yourself. You don't have to wallow or you don't have to uh, have pity on yourself. Um, you know, I, I think of uh, a friend of mine gave me a book on Charles Schultz, the Peanuts playwright and uh, author and originator. And he was talking about uh, the book said, never have so many little failures added up to such a big success for faithfully catapult cataloging life's essential hopelessness. Charles Schultz drives a Mer- drove a Mercedes-Benz and get, got his name in the dictionary. So one would think that surely he must have laughed all the way to the bank, but he really didn't. To him, life more closely resembled peanuts than his own existence. To explain why is to get into that murky realm of the human psyche where reality isn't necessarily dependent upon physical basis. It's pure O. Henry. The more miserable he felt, the more he poured into his work. And the more he poured into his work, the more the readers loved it. <laughs> the more the readers loved it, the more successful he became. So it was uh, interesting. And the book uh, went on and talked a little bit about, you know, there is such a thing as good grief. Um, and, you know, this comic, uh, Charles Schultz for the Peanuts uh, Cartoonist said, you know, that that humor springs oftentimes from sadness, not happiness. And sometimes, you know, when you're sad or you're a little bit down, that out of that comes a really great laugh where you start to reconnect and you come out of it. And, you know, when you think about the Peanuts cartoons, you know, losing is what kept Peanuts living for 40 years. The unrequited love was funny. You know, returned love was not Um, a kid. Launching a kite successfully is not nothing to laugh at, but a kid that has a kite in the tree, that that would be funny. Um, and Charlie Brown, of course, being duped season after season into kicking at a football, sure to be pulled away for some reason, was hilarious. But uh, benevolent Lucy would probably wouldn't work. So the formula was pretty consistent, pretty basic. So I think when you feel anxiety or you feel a little bit down or all of that, know that that your your next laugh or your next joy will pretty much hopefully help you out of it. And maybe to get together with a friend or someone that can provide a, a smile or a laugh or it does, it does a lot for the soul. So this was a great email Rebecca sent me. Uh, this was, uh, it come from a book uh, and the author is, uh, we're not, we're having a hard time finding attribution to the author, but it was in a right book by Dr. Bob Moorhead, and the book was called Fellowship of the Unashamed. And so it goes like this. This is strong. In 1980, a young man from Rwanda was forced by his tribe to either renounce Christ or face certain death. He refused to renounce Christ, and he was killed on the spot. The night before, he had written the following commitment 
which was found in his room. And it goes like this. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back. Let up. Slow down. Back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean in his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way rough. My companions are few. My guide reliable. My mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. That's a pretty powerful message. Thanks for sending that to me, Rebecca. All I can say is amen. Hopefully I can say the exactly the same thing. I don't think there's anything more to say. Nope. So what should we do with this next minute of airtime? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can just... Close in prayer. We can close in prayer because it, it was so strong. Um, and when, when you talk, it seems like the theme verse lately has been Galatians 2.20. And I know that that's, that's a, a key verse for our next guest that's coming up, mm-hmm. too, because their ministry at Grace Fellowship International is all about that crucified with Christ life yes. and living victoriously in that. That's what this means. Laying down, laying it all down yeah. to accept the true victory by walking as an overcomer in Christ. That's what that looks like. And to think that he wrote that down and then he was uh, killed the next day because he would not renounce Christ. That is strong. That's powerful. Anyway, that was uh, out of a book, and we are having a little trouble uh, getting attribution for that, but the book was uh, Dr. Bob Moorhead's Fellowship of the Unashamed. Anyway, Dr. John Woodward is going to be joining me in just a minute. I'll take a short break and be back with him.
Welcome to the show. I'm delighted to be welcoming back Dr. John Woodward. He's the Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International, which is in Pigeon Ford, Tennessee. He's an ordained minister who has pastored churches in Quebec and Ontario, Canada for 19 years. And since 2001, he has been serving as the biblical counselor, trainer, and mentor with Grace Fellowship International. John, welcome back. Thank you, Bill. Good to be back with you. It is really nice to be back and nice to have you with our show again. Uh, I so enjoyed the last time you were in. You were in with our our mutual good friend, Jeff Verdorn, who was just on the show this week. That's great. I'm so glad to uh, um, hear from Jeff and from you again. And last time, it was uh, in the summer of last year, we were doing a a one-day addiction recovery seminar at Grace in the City in Minneapolis. So I'm glad we could talk about that as well. Yes, and um, I know that was a while ago, and you've done many things since, but uh, what, what is your recollection of, of how that event went? Uh, Grace in the City is a church plant right in the, in the center of Minneapolis, and uh, I do know that. they reach yeah. out to a lot of, a lot of the uh, people uh, who are in need there, and certainly addiction recovery is significant for all of us, but uh, it was well-received there um, with John Steger and the team, Sure, and so... Uh, Great to have that opportunity. Well, I think when it comes to recovery from addiction of any kind, um, a person struggles with their identity in Christ. They don't. It takes a while for them to have the Holy Spirit confirm with their spirit of who they are, and that does not come overnight, does it, John? We do agree, Bill, that uh, our identity in Christ is really significant, and um, if someone identifies himself or herself based on their uh, their failures or or their struggles, then we believe that that can reinforce their bondage. Certainly, we agree that we need to be honest about our our struggles. That's that's fine. But uh, if we identify ourselves as believers in Christ spiritually, then we know that the bondage breaker who lives in us can um, be adequate for whatever things are holding us back. Mm -hmm. John, let's talk about possibly a lifetime of lies that that a person has listened to from the enemy prior to coming to faith in Christ? And what is the process for for undoing some of that, unlearning some of those lies? That is a key issue, Bill, because all of us tend to form our concepts of God, of ourself, and how we relate to others based upon our life experiences. Yeah. So even after we come to faith in Christ and, and have um, new life in Him, spiritual new birth, we still have those old recordings, that kind of data flight recorder, you might say, <laughs> is still in our uh-huh. still in our brain. Yeah. And so we can live out of those old messages. The New Testament terminology for that is walking after the flesh or walking according to the flesh. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're intentionally being rebellious. It could mean that even with uh, our good intentions about living the Christian life, we can be living out of that old identity trying to cope in those natural ways that are ultimately ineffective and it's um um it's only through the the renewing of our mind uh like it talks about in romans so there is a considerable amount of spiritual discipline required to be speaking truth through god's word into your head into your heart so those stories start to get diminished Mm -hmm. and or or you know as diminished as possible uh, I agree that renewing of the mind is, is really central, Romans 12, 1 and 2, as you alluded to, Bill. Um, but it's not only information that we need. There are a lot of good programs that give information about the symptoms of addiction or um, you know, different factors. That may be helpful in terms of a context of, of what we're dealing with. But we believe that the most significant 
transformation of the mind comes through through God's truth. And Jesus said himself in John chapter 8, verse 32, that as uh, as we know the truth, then the truth will set us free. So it needs to be spiritually illumined truth that renews our mind. Mm-hmm. John, how do you best learn to recognize when the old tapes resurface? Um, how, what what tools or, or what counsel can can you give us for recognizing? Oops, here comes one of those old tapes. Well, sometimes it's just in in our interaction with with others, whether it's our family. Uh, our, our small group, that as we um, relate to others, sometimes uh, our our flesh patterns kind of collide with others, and those conflicts uh, kind of surface our own insecurities or our own ineffective ways of coping. And in the body of Christ, there should be that, that kind of reciprocal, I guess you could call it one anothering, where we bear each other's burdens, where we have even healthy confrontation. Um, but it needs to be in the context of, of mutual acceptance and encouragement. Mm-hmm. John, if you've ever uh, had a caricature artist uh, paint your uh, or draw your picture, uh, what they usually try to do is pick a characteristic of your face and, you know, largely blow it out of proportion. Um, so your face leads with that characteristic. It seems that when people come from old tapes uh, and if they have been less than honest with people, uh, no matter how they walk into the room, the first thing their loved ones see is, oh, here comes the guy who doesn't tell the truth. Mm-hmm. So to, and, yeah. to undo some of that, it, that, mm-hmm. that could be like the, a considerable amount of the rest of your life. Well, we believe it needs to start from the heart. Um, Proverbs says, uh, guard your heart with all diligence. From the heart flows the issues of life. So as we um, discover that Christ's indwelling presence is there to give us healing and and freedom, and that renewal comes from within. Then it starts to flow into into our relationships, where we start to not just react based on old patterns, but we can respond with a new sense of our security in Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, I would hate to think that we're always going to struggle uh, when it comes to our our identity or our past. Uh, because we know that we are overcomers in Christ and we have the power to be that. Um, and I just want to, I want you to just really encourage our listeners to say, uh, hang in there. Things, days, better days are always ahead. Isn't that kind of how we feel? Uh, indeed. Hope is really important uh, in counseling and in soul care. And scripture talks about uh, the power of hope. And um, the hope you're alluding to, Bill, is that, you know, as we abide in Christ, as we replace those lies with truth, and there there is freedom. And we can expect that the Lord can restore our soul and set us free from those patterns that are holding us back. Mm-hmm. John, I would love for you to say more about abiding in Christ, because I think if you're, if you're tethered to Christ, you're going to be just wonderful. But if you start becoming untethered to Christ, uh, that's when the trouble hits. Exactly. So um, our listeners would recognize John chapter 15, uh, where Jesus uses the analogy that he is the true vine and and true believers in him are, are like branches organically connected to him. So when he talks about abiding, uh, abiding in Christ so that the fruit would be expressed or born through our life, including love, joy, peace, and those other virtues, and including the virtue of freedom, then um, that is a, an intimate spiritual relationship that's not just based on religious activity. It's meant to be a a personal abiding relationship where he meets our needs from within. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that 
chapter 15 in John, and it's it's the most comforting if you just uh, lean into God and, and get into his, and just be abiding with him. I, I love that word abide. What am I trying to say, John? It's just, I love that word abide. It really is a, a really central word and a very descriptive word, Bill. And I believe if you think about that analogy, we see that the branch recognizes, so to speak, its, in, its uh, need to renounce its independence and trust in the organic connection to the vine. The, the branches that are disconnected are, are withered and, and lifeless. So we need to, to, instead of being independent, we need to realize our dependence upon Jesus as our source of life. And secondly, we need to yield. Um, instead of being independent in terms of doing our own thing, which our culture says we need to do, instead we need to yield to God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. So I think we can summarize the abiding life as yielding and trusting him. Mm-hmm. I know, John, one of Grace Fellowship's uh, International's really distinct focal points is uh, living victoriously. Can you talk about what that means and what that feels like and how I can, at the end of the day, when I lay my head on the pillow, go, hey, I think I live pretty victoriously today? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we're simply um, looking at verses in the New Testament, like where, where Paul says that we are to uh, to walk in his triumphal procession. It's an it's a, allusion to uh to bible times where where uh, the victorious general would come back uh to to uh to the city you know with uh, the defeated troops kind of kind of in that um uh, triumphal procession as uh, now uh, stripped of their power so because satan was defeated at the cross if we submit to god and resist the devil the devil has to back off so i believe that victory doesn't mean sinless perfection but it does mean that as we yield to Christ and abide in him as he lives through us, then we are to uh, to experience um, his love for us and his love through us. And as we express our love to God and love to others, that is victory because um, we can summarize the whole moral law and simply, you know, love love God and then love others as we naturally are concerned about ourselves. Mm-hmm. John, I'm just going to think out loud here for a minute, but I'm wondering across the board, how many Christians do you think, if asked, are you living victoriously, would raise their hand? Um, many times we are identifying ourselves by our performance rather than identifying ourselves by what the, the New Testament says uh, concerning our identity in Christ, as you mentioned earlier. And God bases our identity not on what other people have said about mm-hmm. us, not on our track record, but on our spiritual union with Christ. And um, the Bible says that because of that, we are true believers, are children of God, joint heirs with Christ, even saints. And we don't always act saintly, but if we realize that that's our identity, we are going to be more consistently walking in that sense of dignity and abiding in Christ. Mm -hmm. It is a challenge, uh, John, because as we live in a performance-oriented world, we want to, uh, even when we're doing kingdom things, we want to be performing at a high level. I mean, I I, want to come into my job here in the studio and perform at a high level so I can, you know, bring the best show possible to the listeners that they may be uh, encouraged in their walk with the Lord. So, I mean, the performance thing just doesn't ever seem to go away. I think it's natural that we want to uh, to be our best, uh, to value excellence. I think that that's a, uh, a good virtue. But the balancing factor in, in the book of Philippians, for example, is work out your own salvation, develop your spiritual potential. There, there are spiritual disciplines and things. But then it says, 
It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So in other words, the, the Christian life is not primarily imitation. You know, what would Jesus do? But it would be participation. What will Jesus do through you and me as we abide in him? Mm-hmm. Dr. John Woodward is my guest. He's the director of counseling and training at Grace Fellowship International in Pigeon Ford, Tennessee. We're going to take a little break and we'll come back uh, lots more with John. back to the show. I have on our guest line Dr. John Woodward. He's the Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. What, what about when it becomes idols in our heart? And how do, we, how do we purge the idols in our heart? Now you've gone from preaching to meddling. I know. I know. Here <laughs> I go. Just like you, John. Uh, um, it's interesting, <laughs> Bill, that at the end of 1 John, um, the Apostle says, little children, uh, keep yourself from idols. And that seems strange because in that context, I don't think they'd be talking about, you know, um, some statue, you know, that, that they're having to set aside, that they're worshiping. It's more, as you were alluding to, Bill, that we can idolize people, relationships, achievements. So let's just back up and define an idol. An idol is someone or something that we are depending on to meet ultimate needs that only God can really meet. So we are set up for disappointment if we are taking even legitimate blessings, you know, family, friends, uh, work, recreation, whatever it might be. And if we put them first place or if we have unrealistic expectations for them, um, I have a letter here that just arrived today in the mailbox. Um, would you mind if I read a quote from it? Sure. Uh, this person uh, received ministry from from a lady going through our training. And uh, as I was looking at it today, it was so encouraging because it deals exactly with the topic of of um, the tendency to, to have idols. And as she uh, came into this experience of, of seeing Christ as her source of living and accepting her new identity, she says this in her letter. Um, she says, I, I need to deny my independent living uh, every day. She says, nothing um, can take care of my soul like Jesus can. And then she asks some rhetorical questions. Can relationships... You know, meet my ultimate needs? No. Deeds? No. Job? No. Drugs? No. Alcohol? No. She's talking about what can give her fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Children? No. Money? No. Success? No. Divorce? No. Marriage? No. Food? No. Risks? No. Uh, super rich? No. Super poor? No. And then she says in capital letters, only Christ. So I think that testimony, Bill, is is from someone who's coming to realize that all these things are poor substitutes for the Christ-centered life. Mm-hmm. That's uh, nicely stated. She did a really nice job of uh, mm-hmm. making her point so clear, and I love the repetitiveness of all the different categories she she raised. I know that we can have. I think I think it was Augustine maybe that talked about disordered loves, and it's not that you. Uh, love bad things, but that you like good things too much and they have a a more prominent place in your heart and what drives you every day than your walk with the Lord. And if your identity is that, then there's more trouble ahead. Right. I think it's also Jonathan Edwards who wrote about a treatise um, on religious affections. And what we delight in is such a key 
aspect, Bill, in terms of this whole issue of competing affections or loyalties. Uh, in Psalms, we read the famous verse, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will do what? Give you the desires of your heart. So that's the key to fulfillment. It's not uh, just a mirage. It's really spiritual reality when we walk by faith and discover that the God who created us and designed us uh, has made provision, uh, as Jesus would say, for us to have life, but also life more abundantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, John, just because you brought up uh, Psalm 37, take delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. I would love to hear more about that because I know that verse gets everybody's attention and they cling to that verse because they they present their desires of their heart to the Lord and they certainly hope that God cooperates with their desires. Right. And here's where we we see that our values often don't line up with real eternal values. You know, when we were children, you know, what uh, we thought was so important, our parents would say wasn't really uh, in our best interest. And so in a in a larger context, uh, it's not so much that, you know, we delight in something, a material item or some achievement and think, OK, this is what I want. God, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to just meet this condition and you've got to come through. That's more like putting God to the test. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, Paul says uh, we look not at things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And our Lord would say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you need will be added unto you. So I believe that as we have a, a lifestyle of worship and realize what's really important, then that person's psalms. Or is interpreted in the right context. Mm -hmm. When we think about idols, and I know you do some work in counseling in recovery, and so and I do as well. I, I sometimes am reminded that uh, in the recovery world, there is an idolization about sobriety, even at the risk of what my spiritual and health and well-being is. Like as long as I'm sober, then life is good. And I think no, as long as you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then life is good. Um, that's a, a helpful clarification, Bill, because if we make just a condition our goal, then we may substitute, you know, some other behavior just to get what we think is sobriety. And we're just trading one idol for another or right. one coping strategy for another. But um, Jesus says, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He says, peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled. You let it be afraid. So as we grow in, in our spiritual maturity, as we help others discover the potential of freedom in Christ, then instead of just mere sobriety, they can really have sobriety as a byproduct of really having spiritual freedom in Christ. Mm -hmm. When you uh, talk about what Jesus said, you know, um, in this world you'll have trouble, but, you know, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Do you think uh, how are Christians doing at being people of good cheer, people of, you know, joy in the world. Does the world look at us and say, boy, now there's a group of people that really are happy. I think, again, you're you're giving us a good reminder there, Bill, that we need to um, really be filled with the Spirit. The, the fruit of the Spirit is not only love, uh, but also joy and peace. So we may not have happy circumstances, but we can have an inner joy, an equilibrium of cheerfulness where um uh, we can be a testimony of hope and, and serenity that other people will will be attracted to. And and to the extent that we are abiding in Christ and, and uh, as we said before, renewing our mind with God's truth, then, then that um, 
that winsome, you know, positive testimony will show up more and more. Yeah. John, talk a little bit about uh, Grace Fellowship International and then maybe about the international part. Um, yes, the uh, Grace Fellowship International, I've served uh, with this ministry um, for about 18 years and uh, started in Denver, Colorado. It basically seeks to apply the Victorious Life message of the New Testament to discipleship counseling. Um, I guess you'd say our flagship verse that my mentor Charles Solomon found so helpful in his life is Galatians 2.20. And many of our listeners would recognize the verse that says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we seek to make that central in discipleship, in counseling, in equipping leaders and mentoring. And the international part, Bill, um, uh, just this week I was visiting uh, one of our leaders from India who was visiting the States. And it's so encouraging to um, to be able to relate to uh, team members that we have in South Africa, Kenya, India, Romania, various countries. And because biblical counseling is true and because it's Christ-centered, then it's really effective in every culture. So it's really a privilege to be equipping leaders in, in various countries. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is uh, the weather doing right now in Pigeon Forge? Well, uh, it's a bit bit, um, bit milder today. It tends to start out a bit on the cool side, relatively speaking, and mm-hmm. come up come up to the 60s or 70s. That's not and, bad. Uh, and in February, though, I, I had to pay my dues. I went back to Canada to, uh, <laughs> to Saskatoon yeah. in early February and uh, was speaking to a group of Christian counselors up there, and it was uh, record-breaking low temperatures. So, wow. Yeah, that's a that's a shock, isn't it? Did you grow up in it Saskatoon? Um, that was the first time I had been in Saskatchewan. I was raised in New Jersey and Georgia. Okay. Um, went to school in uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania, as you mentioned in in the uh, introduction to the program. Pastored uh, associate pastor in Montreal, Quebec, uh, in the eighties, and then a pastor of a church in Southern Ontario, Canada, in the nineties, and then I've been here at Grace Fellowship since two thousand one in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And listeners always love to be able to go to a website, especially if we can learn more about uh, the ministry or to read blogs you've written or to see your picture. Uh, should I send them to uh, gracenotebook.com? Where should I send them? Gracenotebook.com is a blog of articles. We have several hundred devotional articles there. But the uh, the name of the ministry just spelled out, Bill, would be fine. GraceFellowshipInternational.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. As you spell um, out the whole if, world, the whole yeah, world. Just international. It's a long one. It's yeah. a long one. But GraceFellowshipInternational.com. dot com. They'll notice um, a few tabs over resources. Under there, there's one um, you know, variety of videos and audio material. Under our Counseling Institute, we have a tab page called courses and we have uh, five free online courses so maybe some listeners would like to uh, visit the courses and take a look there Mm -hmm. now they always say that people have to hear it three times before it it sinks in so i will say gracefellowshipinternational.com and then uh, you say it excellent yeah we were looking for a longer website but we had (laughs) to settle on that one gracefellowshipinternational.com see we work uh, as a team john this is this is this been it's been pure magic as far as I'm concerned. Well, it's a privilege to talk with you. You know, there's a verse in Romans 8 that says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And, Bill, I think many times people just aim at at being a survivor. And certainly surviving is better than not surviving. 
Um, but it's much better to, to actually be victorious. But here it says we're more than conquerors. Do I believe that someone, to the extent that they tap into God's resources in Christ, can be not only a survivor and a conqueror, but more than a conqueror? That means that they can take um, the blessings that they've experienced, the lessons they've learned, and share it with others. Mm-hmm. Well, this is our, uh, our last uh, interview of the day. Can you pray us out, John? That'd be a privilege. Um, God, thank you for this opportunity for us to talk about these very important topics. And we just pray for any listener that today is discouraged, that um, believes in Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior. But this concept of the victorious life or freedom of Christ may seem elusive. But, God, you, you love us and you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. So I just pray for a new awareness that to those who have faith in the Redeemer, Jesus, you've given us um, that provision. You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Lord, give us a new awareness of your grace, a new encouragement by the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit. And we just pray for your guidance and wisdom and encouragement this day. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks to all my guests and thanks to Dr. John Woodward for praying us out today. I pray that you have a fantastic weekend full of rest. And I also uh, hope and pray that you get time with the Lord, that you, you feel tremendous hope and encouragement throughout your weekend. I already can't wait for Monday when we're back together. And of course, next week uh, we start our spring share. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Have a great weekend. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.